Hello, hello. How's your week been? Interesting, to say the least. Indeed. <laughs> Definitely an interesting week. A lot of people with a lot of opinions. Yeah, this will be an interesting one today. I'm uh... I, I definitely want to hear you guys, uh, you guys' thoughts on everything that's been going on this week. I know a lot of people want to talk about uh, about privacy today, and that's uh, the hot topic of the week. So I think that's kind of what's gonna uh, what we're gonna be getting into today a little bit, just uh, with a couple updates too. But yeah, let's start with the boring stuff, like the actual Thorchain protocol. Wow, what a bore! <laughs> One nine five is uh, the the next version that's going out to maybe i guess monday it'll be go out at this point um is gonna be like the biggest thor chain software update ever so that's cool 195 what, what's yeah. so interesting about 195 i don't see anything that's that's crazy on 195 is it oh, yeah no yeah yeah just protocol and liquidity and avax yeah nothing too big <laughs> sounds pretty minimal <laughs> so that's laying the groundwork for order books for single-sided lp exactly yeah nice. so, so pl pol is a good one um, glad we got that landed. Um, great effort by Chad on that one, and then of course Eridanus with the Avalanche Chain client worked uh, probably like for two months on that. Um, that was definitely a beast. I'll let him come up and talk a little bit more about that, and then we're gonna talk about a new security program as well that we're spinning up, which we're all very excited about to help augment the efforts of Thorsec and our Immune Five Bug Bounty program. Yeah, a lot of good stuff for today. Awesome. Well, there's Eridanus. You want to invite him? Yeah, he's connecting. Yo, how's it going, guys? Can you hear me? Yeah. Hey, what's up? What's going on? Yeah, V95. It's a big one. Um, super excited to get AVAX in there. First EVM, kind of ETH fork, or uh, yeah, basically ETH copy that we're, we're pulling in there. I had to do some kind of uh, custom logic for that, but that should make the next ones easier. Um, and as part of that, like, we're we're actually um, kind of we're going through audits right now. So we did a smart contract audit through Hacken, uh, which is wrapped up, and we're we're actually moving forward with a different kind of audit uh, for the for the ETH and the AVAX chain client. Um, so we'd love to get Trebian up here, um, and he's going to kind of walk us through um, Code Arena, um, which is kind of this this audit contest um, shop. That's a, a really exciting kind of addition to to Thorchain's uh, security um, space. So we'd love to get him up there and uh, start talking about it. If uh, one of you guys could get him up here, yeah, I just invited him. Uh, if, if he accepts, or you can just request, and we'll we'll let him up. So sweet. Yeah, while we're waiting for that, uh, let's hear a little bit about the AVAX client. So that, that's going live in 195. So what does that mean for the, the rollout of Avalanche on Thorchain? Yeah, so it's still, um, so basically it's, it's merged and going out in 95, but won't be um, activated. So um, the node vote has passed. Um, initial audits have passed. Uh, Thorsec review obviously has, has passed. Um, but we're going to be waiting for this next um, audit contest that we're doing. Um, and then you know, and changes that, that are necessary will, will go into 96 or 97. Um, and at that point, we can we can roll out to mainnet. So probably still a few weeks out. Um, but, you know, that will give us time to do the proper, you know, audits and make sure everything is is uh, completely functional and do it right. So that's that's kind of the, the basic plan. Sounds great. Yeah, I love to kind of, it, it seems like every new big update, there's like more layers of legitimacy being added and like more 
more checks and more just all of that. So uh, yeah, that sounds really good. Absolutely. And uh, we're working with some teams in the in the Avalanche space that will uh, will be integrating with with uh, the the connection. So um, that will also give those teams times to uh, kind of get their their ducks in a row and make sure this this launch will be you know impactful for both the Avalanche community and the Thorchain community. It's going to be really really exciting. Yeah, Pluto and Aridonis have been getting really good at uh, integrating new chains into into Thorchain. <laughs> Obviously, it's a it's been a process with uh, with first with with Terra. And then Adam, now Aerodonis has been working on uh, AVAX, but, uh, you know, they're getting, getting pretty good at adding new chains onto Thorchain. So that, that just adds to the, uh, you know, the skill repertoire of, uh, you know, Nine Realms and, you know, it makes it easier to add new chains in the future now that we have, you know, more experience doing that. What are you guys looking at uh, most closely after Avalanche? Uh, maybe no promises yet, but just curious, like, what you feel is priority? Yeah, so um, basically, like, kind of how I'm thinking about this, and and what's crazy is that we like we're getting the most like inbound interest um, from chains that are looking to connect to Thorchain, which is really exciting because I think people, you know, protocol teams are really seeing the benefit um, of, of integrating with Thorchain, which is incredible. And so, what I would love to see is kind of shift, shifting the mentality from you know Nine Realms and the core team building out these chain clients to those external protocol teams working on the connection. And we're seeing that obviously with Haven and Dash. Um, so we're, we're getting inbound interest from, from some really cool protocols. One of them is Moonbeam, which is kind of the EVM fork on Polkadot, um, which could be kind of the entry point into the Polkadot ecosystem for ThorChain. Um, and, you know, hopefully what we'll see is that these, these you know, core teams, obviously with the guidance of, of core developers, work on the chain client. Um, and what that will allow is like the core team and nine realms to focus more heavily on the protocol itself and, and security and constantly pushing the game forward there and pushing forward integration and um, decks and wall integrations because you know as as I've said before like what Thorchain already does is incredible and we just need to kind of squeeze every drop we can out of out of what we already provide which is an incredible service to the entire ecosystem so you know our goal can then shift more into driving more volume through Thorchain, increasing yield and increasing liquidity and having those external teams kind of take the take the path forward on chain integrations. Yeah, one thing I'll also add to that is that we're going to try something new for the next chain, like rather than sort of like the core team and Nine Realms like taking the temperature of the community and then putting like deciding on basically like this is the next chain we're going to pursue and then putting that to a vote for the node operators. Um, we're going to actually have the node operators signal what they would like the next chain to be. Um, so like, instead of just saying like, oh, let's, it's time to vote on, you know, AVAX or it's time to vote on whatever, we'll just throw up a list of, you know, five, five or six potential candidates for the next chain. And then the nodes will basically vote on which one they want to be the next chain. Um, so it, it's no longer going to be like a binary, should we add this chain? It's more of like which chain, um, which chain should we add? So it's a bit of a change in the um, in the process, but that was a uh, Chad B's suggestion, which I thought was a good one. That's a great idea. Love that. Yeah, it kind of flips the whole thing around. Like rather than build the thing, then see if people want it or nodes want it this way. It's like the nodes kind of get to steer a bit more and and signal like what what should be worked on, what's most priority moving forward. So 
that sounds really cool. I like that. Yeah. And then of course the the thing I'll always caveat is that, you know, the the more the more chains that you add onto Thorchain, the the more technical and infrastructure risk. Um and also the more reliant we become on centralized providers, as which has obviously been a bit of a concern. But like right like with Terra, for example, you, you couldn't run um like a Terra node on even certain bare metal cloud providers, much less like if you wanted to like run a node on your computer at home, like forget it. So, um, you know, there's going to be, we have to have a, a really frank discussion about, you know, at what point, like at what, what's the, at what, like we basically can't keep adding chains forever. We can't add every single chain in the universe to Thor chain. It just, it, it, it won't work. Um, so there has, there's a constant trade-off there between like, decentralization and performance um, and number of chains. And so really the way we're looking at it is like how much value or how much market cap in the overall ecosystem can we capture? And is are there um, diminishing marginal returns to adding new chains? And if so, is it worth doing so um, if you're not going to be capturing extra TVL or extra volume uh, as a result? So I, I would hope that we just like, you know, think about, think about it, not just like what is the next chain and more like like, do we need, like, what chain do we, can we absolutely not live without on Thor chain? To be clear, like, it's, it's not that you, it would not work. You could, you could literally add every, like, layer one chain and layer two chain to Thor chain, and it would still work. It'd be expensive, because all the nodes have to run all this infrastructure, and it would probably cost more money to run that infrastructure than it would, it would, you know, than you would benefit from, like, node rewards, right? But, uh, from a technical perspective, it's totally possible. The question becomes, as, as Pluto was just alluding to, like, well, what are the ones we we as a community really want to see uh, added? You know, and and every one of these chains is kind of an in depth knowledge or, or or like debate about the value prop and what it offers us, right? So, adding a chain like Monero, for example, is is different, right? Because it's it's a privacy chain, so it's it's offering something to the to the to the entire network. Uh, something that doesn't have today, which is access to a privacy chain, versus something adding, you know, another Cos- uh, another um, Cosmo chain that's you know more or less the same as other ones that we've seen. So it's like that. Part, that's kind of part of the debate that the community should have. You know, um, I don't want to interrupt, but uh, I know that uh, Trebian has uh, has a hard stop at twelve thirty or a little bit before. So just want to get a chance to talk uh, with Trebian and talk about Coterina. Hi everyone, how's it going? Uh, thanks for inviting me. Um, so yeah, I had some technical issues, so I'm happy to be a part of this call. I can just uh, dive right into it. Um, yeah. So I've been having calls with the team, and essentially, Code Arena, uh, we run decentralized audit competition, and you can think of it as a hybrid between traditional audit and bug bounty programs. And the model kind of addresses some of the pain points within those two models um, by better aligning incentives across all participants. So as probably many of you already know, with traditional audits, um, especially if you want to get it from a good firm, there is still a pretty long waiting time. And when you do get audited, it's usually by a small team, anywhere from one to five people. And the auditors, by and large, are kind of anonymous. So they don't really have skin in the game. So you might hear of a protocol getting hacked and you will hear of the firm that audited them, but rarely do you hear about the auditors who actually perform the audit. So C4 tries to uh, address uh, some of these issues by having very quick turnaround time. And we can basically run contests under a week um, within 72 hours, if possible, if needed. 
And the reason we can do this is because um, it's community driven. So we don't hire any auditors. We've just grown a community of auditors who just show up to compete in this contest. Um, as a result, we are seeing a very high coverage. So I think over the past 20 contests, for EVM-related contests, we are seeing somewhere between 45 to 60-plus uh, wardens competing per contest, which is yeah quite a lot more compared to the traditional audits. Uh, and then basically one of the reasons this has worked so far is there is a repetitional aspect. Um, we kind of gamify a little bit. So the wardens themselves, there's a leaderboard, and they are competing with this. And we know for sure um, neither do we stop them. So the auditors are actively leveraging their reputation within C4 um, to land independent gigs and yeah, do other things within the space. And the differences between C4 and the bug bounties such as Immunify, uh, not that they are bad or anything, I think we occupy different spaces, is that with a bug bounty like Immunify, it's pretty open. So there's no guarantee that someone comes and try and crack the code. It's also a bit of a dark forest in the sense that if I'm faster than you, you might have put in a lot of effort, but I will get paid and you won't get paid. So the way we try to address problems is that the content is bound with C4. They typically go anywhere from three days to two weeks. And as long as we find, as long as let's say two of us find the same bug while the contest is live, we will both get a split of that part of the award pool between us. So in a sense, it's guaranteed paid out. Of course, only if you find something. And the way the reward works is that people are incentivized to find high severity bugs, which pays 10 times more than a medium. So even if someone comes in and submit a bunch of low-grade uh, bugs, they won't get paid anything. Um, I should also mention the last point is that it's public. So every report is published publicly. Um, there's a pretty active and vibrant community. So there's a tighter feedback loop as well in terms of understanding what other wardens have found and what has been missed. So there's a nice feedback uh, learning loop over there. Yeah, so in a nutshell, that's a pretty high-level uh, overview of what Code Arena does. Awesome, thank you. Yeah, so we we heard about uh, Coderici from our friends at Shake, um, and you know they had you know glowing reviews of of the audit contest. I mean, they said that they ran an audit with uh, I will not name the the audit shop, but they ran an audit. Um, you know, paid them fifty thousand uh, dollars. They found no critical or medium uh, vulnerabilities, and then they ran you know the same code through a, a C four contest, and there was three hundred submissions with at least 50, fifteen significant things to to change. And so it's just like a crazy difference between the two. Um, I'd love to hear why you think there is such a difference. Like, like what gives the audit contest such an edge over a traditional audit in, in kind of that context? Right. Sure. So I think skin in the game, for me, one of the reasons that actually drew me to working with C4 is just that I felt like they have a model that just better align incentives. So for example, we've we speak to quite a lot of auditors, top auditors, and I mean, I'm not going to name names, but some of many of them have stated that if they find one to two bugs, like medium or high, then they know they would have done their job right. So, because essentially they're employed full time, and then they are often working with multiple projects and also things on the side. So, with C4, it's um, the the incentive is a bit is a bit, uh, sorry I lost my train of thought there so yeah uh, with with C four the the coverage comes comes uh, quite a lot a lot into play so because it's more open and and people are actively some people are making uh, making a living off this so it's not in their favor to just look for one medium bug so when they try to crack the code 
they are trying to find the highest severity ones and to find as many of them as possible in order to get a lion's share of the award pool. So because of that, plus the coverage uh, topic, which is just when you have 40, 30, 40, 50 people showing up to try and crack the code, it's just from very different um, point of views to try and attack the code. So they're not so much of going through a process like traditional audit firms might, since they're companies, they have to follow some kind of due process um, with C4, someone might just come in and look at a very specific part of the contract and they just try to crack that. And if they do, then they get paid. Uh, yeah, so I, I think that's that's a reason why the model works so well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then another thing that you, you mentioned is like you guys have seen, you know, up to 75 people participate in an audit. And they're, you know, if you think about 75 people and they each spend maybe four or five or maybe even more hours on uh, on looking at the code base i mean like that's an incredible amount of man hours of people like scouring your code base um that you're just not going to get from a traditional audit and you're probably not going to get from like internal code review either um and so that's just a really powerful way to like leverage um the amount of people um that are that are kind of participating in these things yeah exactly so on average um if you discount the wardens, uh, which is what we call auditors, who spend less than four hours per contest. So if you completely discount that segment, on average, a C4 contest would yield about 20 engineering weeks. So with traditional audits, you are basically paying per week auditors, right? Something like that. So a typical C4 contest would get you about 20 engineering weeks worth of hours. Yeah, that's that's insane. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we, I mean, we are going to be doing a, a, a C4 contest for the AVAX chain client, the ETH chain client, um, and the router contracts. Um, so, you know, we're super excited about that. Um, we think this is going to, you know, help push for the security of ThorChain. Also, since ThorChain is such a complicated code base, this will hopefully facilitate a more of a white hat community around the code, uh, allow people to get more familiar with it. And then hopefully we can run several of these contests and you know facilitate more, more submissions. Um, so if, if people want to participate as a warden, what's that process like? How do you sign up for that? Yeah, so um, they can DM me directly, um, uh, either on Telegram or Twitter, uh, it's TrevianXYZ, or they can also join our Discord, um, and basically our admins can also get set up. So by default, we try to stay decentralized and open, so there is no KYC needed. There is a certified track for wardens who can KYC themselves to a third party, and basically if you do that, you get access to some uh, additional perks, but by and large, we try to stay as open and decentralized as possible. So anyone can begin tomorrow and yeah, it's meritocratic. So if you find something, you will get paid out. No one's going to ask for your credentials and all that kind of stuff. Right? Yeah. Awesome. Well, I know you have to run pretty soon. Um, any other questions from other hosts right now or, can, uh, or any other closing thoughts from, from you, Trebian? Um, so, so when is it uh, that uh, this contest is going to start? Pretty soon, or is it going on already? Where can people get uh, details? Yeah, so pretty soon, um, we're we're kind of just wrapping up final details on the on the length of the contest and the scope of the contest. Um, hopefully, what we'll is in the in, in the next few days, we'll we'll give at least a week before the contest start. We'll announce at least a week before that will allow wardens to like get the right documentation. Um, so I would say like hopefully within within two weeks, but that will all depend on yeah finishing up this the, the scoping. Mm -hmm. Awesome. All right. Anything else, Trevin? Or uh, so we can close. Uh, no. 
Uh, I think, yeah, I mean, happy to talk more with anyone who's curious uh, about being a warden um, or if you have just general questions about how the contest might work, I'm happy to connect um, in the ends as well. Thanks, man. Maybe we can get you on again, again once the once the contest is started and then uh, just to, you know, get some more eyes on it once the contest is live so we can get some more eyes on the code there. Thanks for yeah, that'd be amazing. Thanks for having me. Yep. Thanks, man. Take care. Yeah, thanks for the info. That's really cool. Ciao. Sweet. So, uh bug bounty contest upcoming for the ETH and AVAX routers. So if anyone here is interested in that, definitely keep an eye out, especially on Code Arena and uh, just just here on, on ThorChain, because <laughs> definitely be announcing that and putting uh, a bug bounty contest, because m- more eyes on the code is always a better thing. It's what everyone wants is security on this network. So, yeah. Absolutely. We'll, we'll, we'll blast it out and hopefully do some co-marketing with, with Code Arena to, to market the contest. Um, so yeah, we're super excited. I, I would argue that ThorChain is, you know, has one, you know, one of the most complex code bases. And so as many people as we can get to understand it and, and be poking at it, like the better for, for, for us protocol. And that's a big reason to just not only do Immunify too. It just gets people that's in like white, white hats that are in, uh, other communities, it gets them in looking at Thorchain's code and actually like poking around and doing stuff, submitting bounties. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think there's a place for both, right? Like we've had great success with ImmuneFi. Um, we've had great success with internal audits. I mean, we do a few of these contests and, and maybe we get more ImmuneFi and submissions because more people are familiar with it and spend more time looking at it. So that's that's the goal. Sweet, and thanks for organizing that. And uh, yeah, that hopefully that means after this uh, contest ends, we could see uh, AVAX live on Thorchain. So thanks for all your help with that. Absolutely. Anything else we want to talk about with one nine five? Any POL stuff that anyone wants to talk about? Yeah, why don't we why don't we talk about um, protocol and liquidity? Just for you know anyone who's listening who hasn't been following, I think it's a it's a pretty major development. Um, Chad, if you're there, do you want to basically give a quick summary on that? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> so protocol and liquidity. Um, the concept I think oh, I, I kind of associate it to be the original concept came from uh, Ohm, and the idea is that the instead of having a capital like mercenary capital where people are incentivized to add liquidity to the pools, um, you have the network itself or the protocol itself have its own liquidity that it adds to the pools, and then so that way it's like you know super diamond hands in a matter of speaking. So even in a bear market or whatever, the, the protocol still has a bunch of capital in the pools. We're not entirely doing that per se. That was the original idea behind Ohm, which is a good idea, but we're a little bit different than that. Um, In our context, it's more about um, uh, supporting Sense, right? So since it's been around for a long time, we kind of had the design before we even launched Multi-Chain ChaosNet, but waited a a good while before we actually enabled it on the network. Um, and so since kind of give us an ability to do some things that's, that's pretty powerful and pretty amazing. And the problem since before is that we can only have so many cents on the network before things get kind of increasingly risky and, you know, might get a little bit too risky in my opinion. So we limited the amount of cents on the network just to keep that risk in a very small kind of operating bounds. But, uh, with protocol and liquidity, the network can kind of become a counterparty to those cents in some sense. And it makes it so that we can we can scale up the number of cents on the network uh, significantly more, right? And and the more cents in the network, the better because it makes the pools deeper. Any any cents that are being minted means that an equal number of values being put into those pools to make those pools deeper, and so it opens the door to pretty uh, significant advancements in this dex and. One of which is the single-sided um, yield, so you can provide BDC 
not take not sell half your BTC into Rune and not take on Rune exposure and just take on the asset uh, you want to take on exposure and get a yield from that, which is pretty. That's a first in AMM history, if you ask me. I know Bancor claims it, but that design doesn't make any sense. Um, um, and then the other thing is the order books too. So order books allowing people to kind of wait for execution time on their orders and all that liquidity is just being stored as a synthetic and that synthetic is also adding to the pools and so you have increased trade volume from order books by allowing uh, limit orders uh, and then you also have increased liquidity but all that you know all that uh, capital be waiting to execute is just sitting there as making the pools even deeper so this is the first step towards these kind of other two major features to to kind of allow the network to expand in a much more uh, interesting way. And it will, both of those features will make it, the pools incredibly deep. I think, I think it'll happen uh, surprisingly quickly that the, the pools will get very deep pretty fast. Um, I probably shouldn't be making this claim, but <laughs> yeah, it's the way it feels for me, uh, that it's going to have significant effects on the liquidity of the network, which is actually going to be spectacular. And then we're going to have to you know, deal with you know, increased trade volumes and that kind of stuff as well coming downstream. But but I think it's going to be a pretty significant thing. We're going to enable it on stage net uh, pretty after we 159 goes out. And then we'll play with it, both uh, the, the dev teams and as well as the community can start playing with it and validate that it, that it works the way we think it works, uh, that it's safe, all those kind of things. And then when we launch it on mainnet, we'll probably limit the amount of room that the network will uh, put into the pools. You know, it might be, I don't know what the number is. I'll just say a million just to throw out my number for now. But like, um, so that we can scale this thing slowly over time, just like we scaled the, the, the caps on the pools and just kind of um, make sure the behavior is right and, and all that kind of stuff. So when one not, when 1.95 comes out, um, is it basically like not enabled? It's just kind of in the background or is there any like functionality coming uh, right away? No, it's feature flags. What that means is it's stable, disabled by default. And so we can enable it on one chain like SafeNet and leave it disabled on another chain like MainNet. And then whenever uh, we want to, we, as a community, we can go ahead and enable it. Technically speaking, it's, it's all controlled by Mimir. So if the node operators wanted to enable it on MainNet like day one, there's nothing there's nothing actually stopping them from doing that. They could actually, in theory, do that and it, it, it would work and it would go on. Uh, I wouldn't recommend that personally. I would I wouldn't advocate for that, for the nodes to do that. Uh, but... Theoretically, it's possible. Well, I just wanted to highlight one of the things that um, that we were actually debating earlier this week when it comes to protocol-owned liquidity is which chains should be eligible for protocol-owned liquidity. Um, so, um, you know, th there was some disagreement amongst the team about whether we should do it um, just for gas assets uh, by default. So basically, like any L1 that's added on ThorChain, BTC, ETH, Doge, AVAX, BNB um, should all equally be eligible for protocol on liquidity. And uh, myself and some others like pushed back on that notion because, um, you know, at the end of the day, like protocol on liquidity is the protocol reserve taking a position in a, in a token, right? It's it's selling rune in order to buy up uh, an asset, taking in, taking a position in that asset. And so node operators who are ultimately responsible for the protocol reserve um, and for the entire network, for that matter, um, should think very carefully about which, um, you know, which L1s or which, which pools they want the protocol reserve to take a position in, um, because ultimately that is not, not a risk-free thing. It's an investment. It's possible that you know, um, taking protocol and liquidity in the wrong tokens 
um, could prematurely exhaust the protocol reserve in a way that would both um, lead to fewer node income, uh, sorry, fewer block rewards for nodes, fewer block, block rewards for LPs. Um, it would also eat further into the amount of the protocol reserve that, you know, it needs to be used to cover impermanent loss protection. So, you know, the protocol reserve is like, it's a finite thing. Um, in an in ideal scenario, like the, the fees that the network are making are enough to essentially keep the protocol call reserve balanced. Um, so we're not ever really running out of deficit. Um, but like at the end of the day, it's, this is all like a balancing act, right? Like we want to lever as much as possible in order to bootstrap liquidity in the network, which is why protocol liquidity is like a great thing. But we also have to be, you know, realistic about the risks that, um, you know, taking on protocol and liquidity um, faces us with. So um, th there's going to be like, you know, I mean, at some point we're going to have to vote. And at least, you know, from 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 my perspective, in my opinion, I think that the safest thing to do would be to just only start with BTC and ETH protocol on liquidity. And sort of the reasoning behind that is that like, those are the pools that we ultimately like, as like, not think should be deepest so that we can get the best execution price um, across like any venue when we're doing things like DEX aggregation. So for example, like as we're going out and doing these, um, these, and these integrations, you know, talking to teams like trust wallet, um, wallet teams, you know, uh, aggregators, like they, they basically, when, when their user wants to go and, you know, make a, you know, they want to go from like BTC ETH to ETH in their wallet. Um, they're going to look through like all the different ways to do that. And we have to make sure that Thorchain is competitive on that. And our hypothesis is that, you know, the, the, the BTC to ETH and then via DEX aggregation from like Uniswap or whatever to like any of the ETH coins is going to be like the most popular route by far. Um, so like a big goal that we have is like to make sure that, proto like, so that the protocol has that best execution price for Bitcoin and Ethereum specifically. Um, and so we're working through some numbers right now. Like basically we have like a whole suite that has a matrix of BTC to ET um, Ethereum depths. And so basically being able to figure out like how can we only have like 0.1 or 0.2% slippage on a $100,000 BTC to ETH trade, well, it's going to require an additional like 40 million in BTC liquidity and 40 and 30 million in ETH liquidity or something, something like that. Um, so, you know, we're just like, what, what we're trying to do right now is like quantitative analysis to figure out like where, what, what is the optimal, optimal like uh, liquidity pool depths to achieve the outcomes that we personally believe are going to be like execution uh, routes that will lead to increased volume through through Thorchain. So like protocol-owned liquidity and single-sided LP are extremely important because they're going to allow us to deepen pools. Okay, well, what's the point of having a deep pool if you're not going to like be running volume through them, right? So it's like, there, it's a it's a balancing act. And so simultaneously, we have to figure out where is the best thing um, Oh yeah, someone threw that matrix up in the um, in the in, in the in the Twitter thread. Um, but yeah, simultaneously, we're having to figure out like where's the best place for like. And again, this is not like um, like the, the mar It's a free market, right? Like LPs should just put their tokens into like wherever they can get the best APRs. But at the same time, like we should also take a, a look at the network. We should take a look at where our efforts are going into integrating, and we should try to anticipate how will we be able to, you know, provide that best price execution? Um, and so like, it's just our opinion that like BTC and ETH are the best use and the least risk 
for uh, protocol on liquidity, at least in the beginning. Eventually, we could add things like BNB. I know stable coins, um, adding protocol on liquidity for stable coins would be a good idea because it would just make the um, network more efficient from an arbitrage perspective. Um, but yeah, so so like that. That's it's it, it, you know it's an interesting question. I'm sure one which will be debated rigorously in the community over the coming weeks as we start to turn this thing on. All right, there were there were quite a few things there that uh, you know were, were, were a little inaccurate. But um, um, first of all, it, so it, I think there, there seems to be people within the Nine Realms team who who shares your perspective, but the OG team. That does not share your perspective on this, right? And that's okay. You, we can agree with you, and you can agree with us, and that's perfectly fine. The community can disagree with itself, like that's perfectly fine, right? But uh, one of the things you said that was would be, you know, categorically false is that this has the risk of exhausting the reserve. That is very much false. Uh, for one, the only the, like the maximum amount of liquidity that the reserve could, in theory, add in total would be maybe one fifth of what it actually has or one sixth or something like this. Like you cannot exhaust the reserve. I did not say that it would fully exhaust the reserve. All I'm saying is that there's a pie. The protocol reserve is a pie and that pie needs to be used to pay out block rewards. It needs to be used to cover impermanent loss protection and it needs to be used to take a position in protocol on liquidity, right? So I'm just, that's all I'm saying is that there's, if you're putting, taking on risk on the protocol on liquidity side, it's possible that you, you just, you're changing the size of the pie. It's, it's economic policy. And we have to be very, very straightforward about what we're doing when it comes to economic policy. Okay. Uh, so the other thing is that that um, the uh, the idea that the network was going to deploy, you know, even large amounts of rune into you know a smaller pool, like take Litecoin for example or Doge, is also very incorrect. One because those pools are very small, right, and they're not even going to have much that much activity. And two, they're not generating a lot of swaps, which means there's not a lot of opportunity for yield for a single set of yield in that context, right? So even if we were to enable today, if theoretically, if we were enable the POL on all the pools in the entire network, not that I'm saying we should do that or I want to do that, but just theoretically speaking, the only ones that it actually would add to would be like BDC, ETH, and a couple stable coins, right? It would not actually add any capital to Doge or these other ones because there's not demand for them, right? Um, so I don't have a kind of a, 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 a mentality that just because PWL is enabled on a, on a you know, an asset that they that we're going to be dumping mass quantities of rune into these pools like that's just not uh, accurate to what would actually be really be happening. Do you know what I mean? I think it's important that this network stays as neutral as it can and amoral as it can and not get into a place where either nine realms or even the node operators are dictating which one of the assets are good assets and which one of the assets are bad assets. I think that's just not what we want to do. What you want to do is say that which one of the chains we want to support. And so the network goes through the process and says, we want to support AVAX or Dash or whatever it is. If the network determines we want to support those chains, then we should support them and not get into this like, half support, half not support, like, and then get into more, uh, you know, DAO-like governance arguments, things that become, we want to become, a, you know, a governance minimalist perspective. And so the whole thing was designed to be governance minimalist. And whenever we can just be algorithmic or formulaic about approaches to dealing with things, we should head that direction because DAOs are fucking, oftentimes they're fucking terrible. We all know that. Very few percentage actually do 
even a remotely good job at accomplishing what they're trying to accomplish. So like my viewpoint is that, that, that by default, uh, we should enable any gas asset, which is basically the primary asset per chain. But the feature is actually enabled in a way or designed in a way that the veneer can enable, disable, and pause on any one of these assets on any one of these chains, including gas assets or non-gas assets. So you can either enable it, so we you know add liquidity, withdraw liquidity. You can pause it, meaning we don't we don't make any further actions. We just leave our our state as it is now, whatever that is. Or you can disable, which means we're going to slowly kind of bleed ourselves out of that pool into something. And each individual pool can be kind of determined by node operators if we need to do. But this argument that we're kind of having, or this debate we're kind of having, is only about the default position, not about what is the end result, but what is the default position. Yeah, I just think like like you yeah you, you bring up good points. I I just think that at the end of the day, like having more optionality is better, especially when you're you know it's it comes to like a new and experimental feature like protocol on liquidity. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't, I just, I don't think I have to tell you what would have happened if the protocol reserve had a large position in Luna, for example. So it's just like, it's, it's, it's just, it's just one of those things where having like more controls in this case is better. But I, I do really do, I do take your point about like, it should be, you know, ambivalent and not have like minimal governance is good. DAOs suck. Um, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe in the future, like, like that, that would just be my question, like for the community or for node operators is like, is this something that, you know, people feel strongly about, like um, influencing node operators to, you know, take different decisions and almost taking on like an active management stance to the protocol reserve? Or should we just, you know, implement something algorithmic, um, maybe even say like the pool has to have a minimum, you know, or has to generate like a minimum of this, you know, amount of fees over a 90 day period to be eligible for protocol on liquidity or like or just make it a free for all essentially and say like any L1. But I just, I, I still do disagree with the idea that like we have to make it, if we're going to make a decision about adding a chain to Thorchain, that it should be eligible for like all of these, these sort of benefits of Thorchain. Um, I would even go as far to say that like, you know, newer, newer chains, newer L1s that are, are potentially more volatile and less established shouldn't even be eligible for impermanent loss protection because it's a, it's a riskier asset to begin with. Why put that risk on the protocol reserve when Thorchain is meant to be, you know, it's meant to be a, a venue that is, you know, allow, you know, like, what, like, why would we risk it, its ability to, like, do its job as, like, the premier trading venue for Bitcoin to ETH L1 swaps? And then, like, some other, like, shitcoin goes to zero. And then, like, it, it, you know, the rest of the, you know, the, the, the rest of the protocol suffers as a result. So I just, I, I, I actually do think at some point, like, we should consider um, separating the distinction between, like, a chain being technically added to Thorchain. And, like, you know, we're observing tra transactions and we're facilitating swaps. Like, that's a very different thing than saying, like, like liquidity in here, or we're like we're subsidizing um, liquidity providers in, in these pools. I think those. I think those are like. I, I don't think all chains are created equally. I would rather see you know you know the protocol own liquidity and the ILP and all of that. Like I would rather that be rock solid and given to but you know all the most important tokens that drive the most volume to Thorchain and you know all the other tokens can you know whatever i mean like once they're more established they can you know vie or compete or lobby node operators to give them these privileges but i just think that like it's it like having that optionality is better in my in my opinion to be to be uh you know to be fair on this um 
even though protocol on liquidity is introduced, its its scale is completely dependent on the amount of synths that are minted on that chain. So like, you know, Bitcoin Cash, let's say we don't want the protocol reserve to take a long position on Bitcoin Cash or Doge or whatever. Uh, at, at some point, if people start depositing single-sided, you know, the protocol starts getting a, a long position, on those, the yield starts going down if the trading fees don't don't make up for the uh, extra depth that's in the pool because you're just splitting up that that really small uh, you know pie of trading fees between you know people that are just depositing single sided you know Bitcoin Cash or Doge. So at, at some point, it is sort of self regulating because uh, only if only if actors are only if actors are rational though like what if you were right. the what if you were the treasury of i don't know i'm not going to say you know i'm not going to single out anyone but what if you were you know what if you were a project that really wanted to get listed on thorchain um and you were like um you know you get listed and then you just like yolo your entire treasury into an lp on thorchain Thorchain takes the rune side in single-sided LP. So now you've basically just gotten like a bunch of free rune to create an, a pair of, you know, that's great. That's awesome for your project, right? Now your project has like a really deep pool. You can swap to native Bitcoin. You can use this as your bridge. Like that's awesome. But like that, you know, you've really just like transferred the the, the risk of your project's whole bag onto Thorchain. And that's, I don't think that that's something that we should, you know, or that we should allow, like personally i mean uh okay uh if your concern is that you know dash or cardano is gonna you know add 400 million dollars or something like this or something you know um okay i mean that seems like a fairly far far far-fetched concept but um if you get to a place where there's a chain call it doge for example and the demand for doge is high and people start minting cents because they want you know uh, yield in the asset or they pick because they want to do, you know, orders in the order book or, you know, whatever the, the purpose might be like, in, or arbitrage, whatever. And then you're saying to them like, well, no, 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 we don't like you guys. You guys aren't cool. We don't, we think Doge is dumb or something like this, right? You're going to piss off one of the communities that are integrated with us. And rather than being at their backs and supporting them, which is the whole point of getting this network together is to support the ecosystem as a whole like the, the, the industry as a whole you're now saying okay uh well even though the the community demands it because people are minting since you know like crazy or something like this we don't like it and so we're gonna say you know puck off and then you're gonna get a bunch of tweets on on thing about how Thorchain hates doge or whatever the chain might be like it's just gonna be a disaster if you ask me I, the, the the network people should never be tweeting that Thorchain hates Doge or Thorchain hates Luna or whatever. Like that should never be a thing that we anybody ever fucking tweets ever because we should be just completely agnostic. Where it's an agnostic chain, agnostic to asset, agnostic to chain. Uh, we should be amoral. We should not have opinions about what is good and what is bad. But the only thing we have to be care about is the security of this network, right? And yes, you're right in the context of like if we're then we're taking on a position to you know Luna or something like this, then that's that's the thing that the network should be opinionated about, right? But not about like just general chains and assets. And stuff. That would just be you know uh, antithetical to how this network was. Ter- Terra was a Terra was a quote unquote general chain until it wasn't anymore. I mean, yeah, but that would have been voted on to pass. Like uh, Terra was the most in love fucking chain of the entire network. Until the whole thing collapsed, 
So if we left it up to the node operators to say, hey, vote, you know, should we allow synths for terror? Like, obviously that would have passed. Like, with flying colors, that would have fucking passed, right? Because at that time, it had like $100 million in liquidity in the pools. It had huge trading volume. And to tell them at that time that like, no, no, fuck off. Like, that would have just pissed the fucking terror community off like crazy, right? Yeah, all right. So that's protocol on liquidity. <laughs> One nine five. Yeah, looking forward to it. But but obviously it's probably so it's going to need to bake in StageNet for a little bit. And uh, even when it goes like live live on mainnet, uh, it's really used mostly in conjunction with the single sided yield feature. So we still have to you know wait wait for that to uh, come out before we really see protocol on liquidity being used to to scale since basically. So. Uh, did you guys want to? So, so should we transition that that conversation to talk about privacy? I know you guys wanted to uh, have a little chat on that today. I got my popcorn ready. Who wants to start? <laughs> well, Tornado Cash Dev was just uh, arrested in Amsterdam last night, so that's that's brand new news that we can discuss on this space right here. Ch- Chad, what do you think about the Tornado Cash Dev actually? Like, he, he, I mean, he's arrested. He's in, he's arrested by Dutch authorities this morning, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really early to tell because we don't really know the details, right? The claim at this time is that uh, I think it was, uh, yeah, he's like, in, in, I think he was arrested in Denmark or something like this, and that he paid in uh, money laundering and this kind of stuff. And it's not really clear whether like that just means because of the software he wrote was used for that purpose, or that he actually was personally involved in with people, individuals, and in, in like communications to like convince them to mon- mon- launder their money through tornado cash. Like that's not clear at this time, right? My assumption is that the, that the latter didn't happen. That it's unlikely that the the dev was actually involved in an actual money laundering person or a you know, specific individual or something like this. And if that's not, if it's like, if that is the case, then like, well, then like, how did he participate? He didn't know who the person was that was doing it. He wasn't actually involved in that process whatsoever. He didn't personally financially benefit from that money laundering process. It's like, he's just as connected to that money laundering process as I am, or you are, or anybody else for that matter, right? So it's going to be interesting to see how this kind of like shakes out over the next like six months or plus to see as we get more details to it it's fucking ludicrous and it's fucking dumb and it makes no sense from any legal perspective that i know of it granted i'm not a lawyer but like but this has never happened in in the history of america or any other country to my knowledge uh where somebody's arrested for writing software because generally speaking software is considered to be freedom of speech there isn't even a a uh, agency within america that actually regulates or like goes after people who write software it doesn't even like there is no three-letter kind of like you know agency within the united states of america that actually does that it doesn't exist right if you're gonna like charge people with the crime like writing software is not one of them there is no fucking law that exists that well, writing software people, is people have been people have been tried and convicted on export controls for giving cryptographies to um to foreign countries like so there there is it's called the department of justice and they can and they can literally prosecute you for whatever they want under like you know it's like it won't hold up in court i think we i think we can all agree that this but that's participating in a particular attempt to like subdue the american government by giving like cryptography to like it's you know enemies or something like that's really like that's in a cooperative manner here, just you're you're creating in a benign sense. You're creating software that has no particular. 100%, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, we're. I think we're all in agreement that like exercise 
freedom, being arrested for exercising freedom of speech with respect to writing code is absolute bullshit. I don't think that anyone in, in this, in this space or beyond would, would, would doubt that. Um, but yeah, I, it isn't, I think it's pointless to speculate because we don't, we don't actually know until, you know, whatever the indictment gets unsealed. So, yeah. And by the way, as people, how people use your code is not, you're not liable for such a thing. It's like, if I buy a car from Ford and then I drive it into an audience, like a group of people, right. And it's in like a city square or something like this, no one's going to arrest, you know, Henry Ford for, for such a thing. That's, that that's fucking stupid. Right. Uh, so, I mean, if, if the day ever comes, that's, that some, you know, agency comes after myself or somebody else in the space for writing software, I will fucking fight that shit to the goddamn Supreme Court because that is fucking dumb. It would be a landmark case, and that would be one of the most important fights for, like, self-sovereignty and liberty that we've seen in this country for a very long period of time. And I'd be fucking happy to do that shit myself because that's because that's, that's that important. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah. I, one, of, one of the things, though, about the uh, the comparison that I'm, you're seeing on Twitter everywhere right now where it's like, well, you know, if they're going to go after this guy, why don't they go after Henry Ford or why don't they go after Microsoft for producing computers? And I think that like the, the difference there or the point that people are missing is that like Ford Motor Companies was a massive American company that employed tens of thousands of peoples. And that carries with it a lot of political power. Right. Microsoft had a lot of political power. It's something that's benefiting the American economy. It's something that's that, that they're paying a huge amount of taxes to the American government. Right. So it's like it, it, like you can't really make the comparison of like one lone wolf, a non dev um, versus like the Ford Motor Company, like even if the Ford Motor Company and we've seen this with like banks. Right. Like even if they break laws, no one will be held accountable because there's like there's a political imbalance there. So when it comes to this kind of thing, it's like, yes, the standards may be applied unevenly. But, you know, what what are you going to do about it? Like at the end of the day, political power is political power. So I would just I would just remind us all to keep that in mind when we start saying like, you know, what where the, what the conversation is, is, you know, is 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 it even something that we should be doing to cooperate with authorities or should as a project we just like turn our nose up and say say like you know what we're doing goes beyond any country's borders and we're untouchable and blah 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 like that's sort of the pervasive attitude in crypto and i just don't think that you can do that like i just it, it, it's i don't think that that's going to be possible um so if if, if we have not I think so. I think this is like where the the where where this leaves Thorchain is like, okay, crap. There's like there's a new war on crypto. You know, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's possible now that OFAC could sanction basically whoever they want and can shut down whatever crypto or they can try to shut down whatever crypto project they want. So that leaves us with the question of like basically, do you cooperate or do you just try? And and I heard you mention yesterday, um, Chad, on the ThorSwap space that you think that that's kind of like binary thing right or you do or you don't yes it, i mean really it is uh either you cooperate or you don't because if you cooperate on one thing they will you will have to cooperate on another thing right, right? like we're, you can't just say i will cooperate you on this thing and not cooperate on another thing i mean what is the result of that well it's the same as if you said i don't cooperate on anything correct yeah i mean yeah so i think that's that's kind of where we're left now is <sighs> Can can Thorchain? Do you think Thorchain can continue to exist if it takes that stance of not cooperating? Yes, 
I will stand up and I will say yes to that question. It might need to make some changes and it will hit some, you know, roadblocks and have some struggles. And, you know, maybe the network gets paused for a few weeks because of it. I don't know. But in any case and scenario, like we can deal with it. We are if we have to run notes through the fucking tour network, if we have to, uh, you know, I mean, who knows? Like if we, if we have to transition to a proof of work network because that's much more decentralized then we can probably figure that out as well, right? Like there's many things we could do. But one thing I don't want to do is to continue to allow fucking governments to push us around as people and to limit our access to basic financial instruments. That's the whole fucking point of this entire fucking industry got born on the concept of fucking self-sovereignty, freedom, and liberty. And that's the thing that I'm personally fighting for. Right. That's the reason why I wanted to build fucking Thorchain is to, to, to contribute to this idea of self-sovereignty for the entire fucking human race. So if the government wants to come after myself or anybody else, then fucking have at it and we'll have that fight. I'll, it's, it, and I will have that fight because it's worth fighting for. I'm not going to stand down just because fucking Joe Biden says some shit about, you know, some ill-informed, moronic fucking statement of that, like, oh, tornado cash is used by some criminals. The fucking dollar is used by fucking criminals, too. It's, it's, it's nonsensical. And so I'm not going to stand, like, sit down because of that. It's fucking dumb. So, like, for me personally, that's my viewpoint. And obviously, I'm not Thorchain in, in any way, stretch, or form. But my viewpoint is, like, we should continue to move forward. We should continue to fight for, like, uh, ourselves and our sovereignty. And if we want to move into privacy tokens or other things and people want to make it illegal and delete my goddamn tw- uh, GitHub account, I don't fucking care. Let's move forward. So I, I do, do have a question uh, that I'll pose to you guys. Uh, do, do you think there's a difference between something that, like, I think everyone here kind of knows that Tornado Cash, everyone knows that's where you, you, you have a crypto heist, you, you know, hack a protocol or something like that. You, you go to wash your funds on Tornado Cash. P- people know that that's, that's like what it's for. <laughs> do you think there's a difference between something like adding Monero to Thorchain and, you know, allowing swaps to a privacy and creating and and like the service of tornado cash which is like widely known in the lexicon as like you know uh, a laundry service yeah but like you can't make the assumption just because the protocol can be used in a particular purpose and you can argue that that's what the purpose is for but like it's also just for people who just want their own personal privacy which is okay they didn't participate in any fucking hacks or exploitation funds want to have the privacy and re- like remove the history from their transactions and that's perfectly fine like i don't have a problem with that right like we shouldn't get into the place like like i was saying yesterday on the thing like i should have i have more reason to be pissed off about tornado cash than most people because it was our network was exploited funds were stolen and they were cleansed through that process right which obviously i am pissed about because i don't want my network to be you know fucked with but i also acknowledge that the value that tornado cash has or any whether tornado cash or zcash or monero or any of these fucking services in the world like they are all important to give people privacy like to me privacy is something that is a fundamental right of humanity itself not of government's rights but of human rights just like the idea of like being able to procreate or the idea of having autonomy right those things are are rights that exist prior to government prior to to individuals and stuff and that should not be fucked with just because governments don't like it no no privacy is a basic inalienable human right in my personal opinion and so while i don't use tornado cash personally but i give fights for the right for people to use if they want to 
what about funds that are known to be stolen or like a known terrorist address or something like could you ever see like a, a blacklist of sorts within Thorchain? Well, that's not my call to make, but my answer to that, my personal answer is no, I don't want to, I don't, I would never blacklist a particular address or any of these things, right? Just because like, as soon as you get into that space, now you have censorship, right? And, and who determines what, who should and should not get censored? And it's the people with the pointiest sticks, Chad, the people with the fucking guns. <laughs> okay, Pluto, if your mentality as we're going to submit ourselves to the people with the pointy sticks and the guns, then you are in CFI and you should get the fuck out of DeFi, right? Because that is exactly what we're like, like, is that CFI is controlled by the fucking sticks and the point in the guns and this kind of shit. We're trying to build a new system. It's like, I'm trying to build a new system. Where that's not the case, where it's actually just built on just strong economic models and empowers humanity to do what they want to do. Right, and they can't fuck it up with pointy sticks and guns. That, that, that's what we're. That's like the the vision, the beauty, the utopian society that I'm like trying to fight for here. We also brought up uh, John Shade. Thanks for calling in. Hey everyone, yeah, just uh, listening along. Um, I agree with a lot of what Chad is saying, and definitely uh, want to push back a little bit against this notion. I just heard Brian got up that caused Chad to respond so strongly. <laughs> um, that like, oh, well, Tornado Cash was just used. Um, everyone knew it was being used for laundering criminals. I mean, well, to some degree, um, there's truth that like, you know, bad actors have used Tornado Cash. You can say the same thing for pretty much any public good or service or technology in existence, you know, including cash itself. So we don't ban all sorts of things that criminals use. You know, we don't ban iPhones because criminals use them. We don't ban pretty much anything under the sun just because criminals can use it. Um, so to, to me, I don't really see a difference there with Tornado Cash. And there's a lot of people using Tornado Cash. They just use it for perfectly good privacy reasons because they don't want everyone to see everything they're doing on chain for perfectly legit reasons, just because they value privacy. So uh, I just really agree with Chad on that, that, you know, privacy is a human right. This is something worth fighting for. This is one of the reasons, you know, myself and a lot of other people got into crypto originally. And it's not surprising that governments are starting to push back on this front. What is surprising is some people in crypto being like, oh, well, you know, it's just because they're bad actors, et cetera. Again, we can't create tools that anyone can use and expect bad actors can never use them. What we can do is hope that those tools create much more good for society than they do bad for bad people that might use them. But we can't just try to ban anything a bad person might use or we'll ban everything. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with the, with the mentality that, that, while some of these tools could be used for nefarious purposes, oftentimes that is a very, very, very small percentage most of the time, in most cases. And that the value that these things provide far exceed the, the negatives of the cons that, that it can be hurtful in some you know, criminal or, or illicit purpose. So like I, I gave the, the analogy yesterday on the Twitter spaces about like, like bumblebees are, are a critical component of like just our natural ecosystem, you know, and, and, and just and, and crops like we, we, all of our crops would fucking die if we just got rid of all the bees. But yet, you know, bees kill like thousands of people per year because people are allergic or whatever. Right. And you don't say, let's fucking kill all the bees. Yeah, I, so it, I guess I guess my, my whole thing is like I, I, I 100 percent agree with the objective of like dismantling inequitable power structures but like it it can't happen overnight and you have to like read the room and realize that like 
you don't have two legs to stand on when 90% of the network is hosted on cloud providers that are controlled by the United States, right? So it's like, choose your battles, but like also choose when to fight them, right? So that, that, that's just, that's all I'm advocating for is like, what is the risk of adding something like Monero right now? The risk of adding something like Monero right now is that now all of a sudden people are using ThorChain to swap their dirty funds and the trail ends at ThorChain. Therefore, in the eyes of the public and the investigators and the authorities and everyone that has the power to shut us down, they say, oh, the trail stops at ThorChain. This is a ThorChain problem. Go look them up. Oh, they're all on AWS. Shut them down. Right. So it's like, what, what's, what, what is actually adding Monero do for us right now? Like how, like how much volume is it actually going to generate? How much value is it going to bring to rune holders? Like, I, like, so I'm just saying, like, we need to be pragmatic about it. Yes, sure. If we're able to, if we're able, and we should constantly strive for and, and, and you know, get to a place where we're, we're decentralized. Maybe we could even go fucking spin up um, data centers in, you know, Abu Dhabi or some, you know, some place. Like, like, if a government decides that they are going to be open to this idea of DeFi and they want to become a haven for hosting DeFi infrastructure, then by all means, let's move all like let's move all the nodes there. Let's get you know, but then you're then there's still some risk of centralization, right? So it's just I I, I just I, I it's like I be, I believe all the narratives, right? I came from CFI. I'm here because I believe in it. But you're not just going to uproot the power structures that have been in place for hundreds of years overnight. It's it's a process, and you have to like know like what like what your actual grounds are to be able to do that. We're not in that position right now. So I'm just saying, I'm just saying, like we're just not in a place yet to be able to do that. Yeah, that's the concern I brought up yesterday. So you know, I think the the ideology that you're describing, Chad, is like why we're all here. Like literally, everybody that's in the space right now is here because when you just like go on those rants, we all feel it, you know, and that's what gets us really excited about this. Um, but then at the same time, it's like, is it too much of a risk at this stage, right? Like, like, like the nodes didn't even vote on your uh, that proposal that you were pushing for about like the one third on any uh, provider, for example. So, like, how do we really rally the community? How do we rally the nodes to to take these things more seriously and like get Thorchain to a place where it would be able to withstand these attacks? Because I think the concern is that it wouldn't be able to withstand it right now. So I think we. It to get to that place where it could be like you know where it could just say fuck you we're going to do whatever we want it's decentralized nobody can control it all of that but um the concern is is it there today and would would nodes would nodes allow monero to pass through you know today i, I would imagine probably a lot of nodes would probably leave you'd probably see like a lot of restructuring and things like that which is probably okay in the long term but um yeah that's just i think that's like the big concern it's just like what's the timing what can we do to like get thorchain to a place where it is so resilient that it can just be unstoppable, right? Yeah, but the only thing that's really not not necessarily required, but I think I'd like to see happen before that is just as as backing, making sure all the TSS shares are backed up every week autonomously on chain. Like once we get that done, then if nodes, if AWS shuts down half of our nodes or or even one hundred percent of our nodes, because because both DigitalOcean and AWS and blah blah blah, whatever it is, then like we just we adjust. Like, we can't just wait for the for a time when the government's going to be okay with us, you know, uh, rebuilding everything because they're not. They're always going to want to hold on to that fucking power. So, like, I'm I'm not doing it in their time. I'm doing it in our time. In our time, when it actually makes sense, 
not just for us, but it makes sense of like, when do we want to have, you know, these things that we want so much, our self-sovereignty and our liberty and our freedom? When do we want to wait until we feel that the government will allow us to have it? Or do we want to fight for it now? And whatever battles come downstream, whatever happens, we adjust, we get come back, and we keep on fighting the fight. Like this, you're not going to get to the place we want to get to like with a meager attitude, right? You have to move and be strong and get things done. Like I don't like I, I'm a I'm a shipper. Like I just I want to move forward and ship and get things done and and push forward and not you know be political about it and ask for permission. Yeah, I feel you. But like hypothetically, like these are made up numbers. But like let's say there was like a 50% chance that integrating Monero today would like lead to so much retaliation that it would just kind of like set things back so far it would basically kill it in a sense. Versus like a year from now, what if there was a 5% chance that it would kill it because like nodes have decentralized so much further, etc. You know, all these various things that could potentially happen. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's, it's all, again, it's all a matter of choosing the battle and then choosing when to fight it. And this is, this is also like kind of, you know, why I'm pushing for like, you know, when, when, when asked, you know, okay, so what's next? What's that? What chains after AVAX? What, you know, what comes next? Nothing, nothing needs to come after AVAX because every single chain that you add, you're, you're, you're moving us further from a, a goal of being able to decentralize further. I, I want everyone to be able to, you know, run a, a Thornode from you know, a, a small rack, you know, some, the size of a wine fridge in their, in their house, right? But like, if the thing requires like, you know, global, global tier data centers, um, you know, to, to even run, like you're just moving further and further away from that ability. So, so, you know, that, that, that was kind of like why I alluded to that earlier on in the call is like the more chains you, you have to be, you have to, just the more chains you add, the harder it's going to be to get us into that place to decentralize there. I mean, it's, it's yeah, I don't know. That, that's exactly what Bitcoin is doing, right? Bitcoin used to be much, very much more decentralized than it is today because in the early days, you could mine Bitcoin on your you know, desktop computer in 2012. But now if you want to be participating in the network, you have to like spend like hundreds of fucking thousands of dollars and build an actual data center in the middle of fucking, you know, uh, the Siberian fucking tundra to, to participate in the, in the Bitcoin network. I mean, that's, it's a good thing and it's also a bad thing. Thing. more you know more more uh, hash rate makes the network more secure right but yes it also makes it more centralized right the the nakamoto coefficient for bitcoins at four right now right how many pools would need to, to collude to, to like affect uh, bitcoin the answer is four right but like i don't know man like for me it's like i got this space for this purpose and and i feel strongly about it and that's just my opinion and i don't own thorchain i don't control it and neither do you and like the community will have to make a determine where wants right that's fine right i mean we could even see like a fracturing of our, of our community in the sense of like some people believe this way and some people believe that way and maybe there's a fork that you know spins off that goes the other way or whatever that direction might be like that that's possible to happen and that's not, not even necessarily a bad thing yeah i mean i don't know i i personally see it as just in terms of like what is the opportunity right like like personally i think that less than 0.1 percent people on the planet actually financial privacy um but i think that like far more people are upset about the experience that they have with their you know with their their big bank on any given day right like like i i have a fucking loan through a bank that doesn't even have a mobile app that i can make payments on i mean it's literally like garbage and so 
you know, I, I, you know, I think there are some people that fall within the like, you know, we need to separate money and government. And some people just think, you know, CFI sucks and that there's a better way to facilitate transactions and, 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 and commerce. Um, so I think that you're going to find people along the spectrum, but just if I'm just looking at it from like a pure, like cost benefit perspective, I don't, I would rather see us essentially becoming like the settlement layer for, um, CBDCs, like, and essentially replacing a lot of the global FX infrastructure today, because I see that Thorchain is the best way of doing digital asset settlement across chains. I, I, I know that the, that the that the infrastructure that we're, we are building today will probably be forked by whoever ends up building that settlement layer in the first place. So I would personally rather see us capturing the $6.6 trillion in daily FX volume or even just a small portion of that via CBDCs than fucking one or $2 million a day in Monero volume. Like I just, I, I, I don't think that there's enough people that makes the opportunity big enough for it to be worth, you know, the, the squeeze and, and, and certainly not worth living your fucking life on the run, thinking that you're going to get like your door broken down because someone somewhere thinks that you're, you know, helping facilitate child pornography or whatever. Like it's just, it, it it's, it's, yeah, I mean, I don't know. What what are you guys' thoughts on CBDCs? Like, you think Chad that they'll never be on Thorchain? Sorry, what was the question again? Do you you think CBDCs will never be on Thorchain? Do you think it's a possibility? Most likely, they will never be on Thorchain, just because governments will always want to control the the entry and exit points of yeah, this. They, they control the on ramp and off ramp, right? Like, if if you want to get a CBDC, you're going to have to you know into or out of your fiat. You're going to have to essentially like like have a bank, right? You're going to have to go through your bank to get it. But as long as like Thorchain does not impede their ability to see where the movement of funds is going, right? Like essentially you get some CBDCs, basically USDC today is already a CBDC. That's probably what's going to happen. You know, Circle will probably get nationalized or whatever, or they will come to an agreement, quote unquote, where they're being, you know, bought by a consortium led by JP Morgan and whatever, all the fucking, you know, US banks. But like, as long as they can see, okay, this person took their CBDC, they traded it for Ethereum on Thorchain, and now we know that the Ethereum address where it went to, like, Thorchain is not obstructing their ability to have the, the, in, the having eyes, right? And, and I don't think that the government really wants to prevent you from spending your CBDCs or prevent you from spending your money in, in, in most cases. Um, but I do think they just want to be able to see things. Right. And so for them, like where, where they freaked out the most with, with tornado cash was that they no longer had the ability to see it. They didn't know who was doing what they, they couldn't, they couldn't follow the money and following money, following the money is their, you know, their, their biggest tool in, in, in combating crime. So you prevent them from following the money. You're essentially, you, you present an existential threat to their ability to do their job. I don't think that Thorchain today does that. You can track the on-chain, you know, flow of funds across, you know, from one address to the other. You can see, okay, tainted ETH went from here to here. They swapped it into there. Like you can't really use Thorchain today to obfuscate criminal activity. Um, and so I'm saying, like, if if I had to choose one or the other, if I had to choose adding CBDCs and keeping people, you know, saying we're going to ever bend to your cadence. But we're going to, you know, we're basically not going to hide it. You know, you can't hide anything using Thorchain. I think that they'll be happy enough with that. Maybe I'm wrong on that. But personally, I would rather see CBDCs and a fucking trillion dollars in daily volume and a thousand dollar rune 
than fucking zero dollar rune after they kick down the door and fucking arrest half the core team. That's just my personal, like, I, I just, I don't, I, I, it's just obvious to me that which one of those is better, but you know, I might be in the minority there. I, I think the problem that you run into there is that it, it becomes a degree of kind of like almost negotiating with terrorists. <laughs> um, not that, you know, I think all governments are terrorists, quote unquote, but it's like the moment that you give them anything like that of like, okay, we're never going to add privacy assets to ThorChain because we're too afraid of what they might do. What else might they be able to intimidate the ThorChain community into doing? And what, you know, where does that stop? Um, I can think of a number of services that governments have gone after where the service was transparent including the original shape shift where we, we never obfuscated any funds. Um, but that doesn't mean that was ever going to make them happy enough. So I, I would be careful with that assumption that you think, you know, well, if we just give them this bone, then, then, then we'll be fine. There will always be another bone. Yeah. I mean, that's why, that's why Diem never got a product off the ground is because they went to financial regulators and asked for permission. And, you know, I, I think part of why we've been able to succeed so far is that we've been able to fly under the radar. So my, I mean, personally, the goal is like, let's try to fly under the radar as long as possible until we get to a point where there's enough people that have enough vested interest in seeing ThorChain succeed. There's enough decentralization where they look at it and they say, well, like, you know, in order to, in order to shut down ThorChain, now we have to go to the government of Abu Dhabi and ask them for a favor. And it's like, well, we don't want to give them that political leverage over us because we already have you know, they already have so much leverage over us with oil, right? It's just like, like, play, like, look at the world stage, look at where the opportunities are to, to essentially create leverage of parties between each other and, you know, get in there and be smart about it. But I just, this, this, like, this, you know, blanket, like, no, we're going to do whatever we want. And like, you know, we'll never bend to anyone's will. It's just, I, I don't think that that's going to work. And that's just my opinion. Um, but, you I, know, I think ultimately we have to build systems that cannot bend to anyone's will. It's not, it's not even a question of will we or won't we. It's that you need a system that simply cannot. And if you have not, anything else, you're going to have problems. But like the backbone of the internet is built by like people that you can, you, anyone can go take an IP address right now like even if if even if they went all went underground, right? Every node operator, and you know we ran it through Tor, they would just go start shutting down exit nodes, or they would just go, you know, they would basically look up IP addresses and you know go shut down your server that you're running in your basement. Like at some point, some e e everywhere in the world falls under some government's jurisdiction. So at some point, some government allows you to do everything that you do in your life, and whether you like that or not, whether you admit that or not, like that's just the reality of the situation. So like you either find a, a government who's willing to let you run the software you want to run or you go run it somewhere else or you live your life on the run. I'm, I'm not sure I agree with those premises. Like, I'm not even sure I agree that there's everything is always under a government. I mean, I think the Internet itself is challenges that that things that exist solely on the Internet may or may not exist in a jurisdiction. I mean, does Ethereum exist in any jurisdiction? The actual, just the, the chain itself, I would argue it doesn't. Like individual nodes might, but as a whole, the protocol doesn't exist anywhere. And that's one of the beautiful things about things like Bitcoin and Ethereum. It only exists in a jurisdictionless place. So I, 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 would, I would challenge that assumption. I, don't, I think you need to, to build systems that cannot be controlled in that way. And I think ThorChain is actually a lot farther down the road towards that than a lot of other 
uh, protocols that are trying to achieve similar goals. So I don't I don't think it's that hard for Thorchain to be developed in such a way to be a system that cannot be coerced that way. And that's ultimately what what needs to be built in my mind. You, we, we, the discussion we should not we should be having here is not what things should we or should we not do with the protocol. It should be how do we build Thorchain in such a way to be maximally decentralized so it cannot be coerced. That's that's the only sustainable route. Yeah, I, I think is we we don't want we want to have our kind of fundamental values as a as a community as a project and and not have that be guided by what we think governments might do. Um, I mean, I don't even think I sincerely doubt we'll ever have a CBDC on on well any major country CBDC on on Thorchain just because they're they're going to want to control everything. I mean, I know Bruce Fenton's in the audience right now. He's uh, running for Senate in uh, New Hampshire. I mean, if he wants to come up and give his viewpoint, I'd be I'd be interested to hear his perspective. But like, I, I agree with a lot what John's saying. Like, we have to you have to go for broke. There's no there's no middle ground here. You know, either you're controlled by the government or you're not. Right. And Bitcoin is one of those perfect, beautiful examples of one that just said, you know, we're going for broke. Right. And designed it and built it in a way that's very effective at doing that. And granted, we're not as decentralized as we would like to be. And we have to do more work. And I'm working for that. You're working for that Pluto and and other people in the community working towards that. But but like we have to do it, man. This is what the world needs. If you guys don't mind, uh, would you let's let some uh, audience members request to come up and give their viewpoints? I already let Fimble up here. There's been a couple of people who've kind of requested and dropped off. So if, if anyone would like to share their own thoughts, uh, definitely hit the request button and let's let some people up before we wrap up the space to get uh, you know a well-rounded point of view. Hey, Fimble. Hey, just a, a quick uh, comment on all this, and then an unrelated question. But you know. Uh, years ago, the whole cryptography movement was, uh, you know, under attack from the government, and ultimately, I think, you know, cryptography kind of prevailed and and is generally, you know, uh, accepted. So it'll be interesting to see with this tornado situation. I know it's going to take probably five plus years, but it wouldn't totally surprise me if the government actually makes the right decision here and says, you know what, it is a fun privacy is a fundamental right, and uh, you know, uh, protocols like these should should be allowed. Uh, but I also agree with what what John uh, was saying, where you know the the protocols do have to be built to you know enable privacy, even you know even in the face of adversity. Um, but so my my question, though unrelated, was uh, there was a little bit of discussion about the automatic backup of uh, TSS shares after every churn. Just wondering if um, hopefully all the node operators are are doing that. But if if the government coordinated with AWS and DigitalOcean and, and the other cloud providers and basically said, hey, we want to shut this thing down in the split second after the churn, you know, turn off all their all their nodes. Would that would that kill short Thorchain if if they did it so quickly that, you know, the node operators didn't even have time to, to back up their uh, their keys? They wouldn't even they wouldn't even need to kill it. If they could literally seize all of the funds in Thorchain if they wanted to, right? If if you have access to two thirds of the machines, meaning they went in, you know, they basically like, like, like we assume that like, even like a best case scenario in the event that someone wanted to like fuck Thorchain was that like, they would basically just shut off all the VMs and like, you know, the instances would be gone, but would still have their TSS key shares backed up so they we could reconstruct the vault. And then we could go and like reconstitute the fund, spin up a new Genesis chain and then like resume from there. But like there's also the possibility that they just say no like we're actually going to go a step further 
and sees them, right? Like if you are able to actually get onto the machine that has the TSS key share, there's nothing stopping you from reconstituting the vault yourself and taking all of it and seizing all of the funds. To answer, uh, Finn, to answer your question, the answer is no. If you were to like to shut off a split second before, no, because the funds aren't been migrated yet to the new addresses, so it, it wouldn't actually like the, the shares would be backed up before funds are even moved. So it, there's no split second scenario. Just to answer your, your direct question, but I mean, I mean, Pluto is right in the theoretical potential of like the government asked multiple cloud providers of multiple different jurisdictions and countries of different, you know, all simultaneously to, to, to acquire the TSS shares and then confiscate hundreds of millions of dollars of people's, you know, funds. If that were to happen, we'd be in a new realm. I mean, that would be, that would be like next level shit right there. Uh, and that would just, all it means is that we have to retool and we have to rebuild. That's all that really means. We have to do things in a different design. Maybe the proof of work is the answer to that question. Possibly, maybe, right? Maybe it's not, I don't know. But like, there's means we have to like think of the problem differently. Yeah. I also, I just want to highlight, it's not multiple jurisdictions. It's literally just one jurisdiction because every cloud providers is owned and operated in the United States. So just because you're running your, your, you know, node on a, uh, you know, uh, an AWS server in, in fucking, you know, Taipei or, or in Sydney, Australia does, does not mean that the U S government would not comply with the demand to shut down a VM that was located there. Um, like literally all it would take would be one court order saying like, you know, seize all of the data on all of these VM instances and, and AWS would say, yes, sure. Here it is. Have fun. Yeah, I don't know if that's actually true. Like, I'm, I'm not a you know legal expert, or I, I have no real good context to this, to be honest with you personally. So I don't really know if that's actually true or not. But but you know, we have to move forward, like, and just do the best we can, and and adjust, and and like if that were to happen, like that would just there'd be an entire new fucking. I mean, that would be one of the biggest news in, in the industry. And all of a sudden, like everybody would be a Thorchain's back and support of it just because it were being attacked by governments. I just wanted to to jump into this conversation and, and say that um, kind of a couple things where I think fundamentally the uh, community is aligned um, longer term. And I think, you know, the real value prop of what Thorchain brings and everything is is the ability that the decentralized aspect of it. And that's where Bitcoin gets its value is because it, it can't be shut down and governments have tried to shut it down. And so longer term, if Thorchain finds itself in that position and it passes that test, that it cannot be shut down, the value will just, it, it's, it's, you know, astronomical there. And I think what we can do is do what the community's done in the past, where is define, um, you know, before going to mainnet, we said, this is what we're going to do. And that's when we're going to de declare mainnet. We can do the same thing with, for example, privacy chains, or, you know, we could say in order to be decentralized enough that we're ready to take on um, you know, an irrational actor or a government, this is this is what the network would have to look like. These are the PRs that are going to have to be passed. And at that point, we have a, you know, in, instead of instead of being reactive, instead of jumping into the frame, being reactive, we can be a little bit more, uh, you know, have the plan and go in and be ready for the battle. I just kind of wanted to throw that into the conversation. Yeah, I mean, I think if, if the if this week's events should be a call to anything, it should just be that call to all protocols and all projects in the space about the importance of truly being decentralized. And again, I think Thorchain's actually much farther along than that than other types of protocols that try to handle, you know, any sort of cross-chain uh, transactions and swaps. But that doesn't mean there's not more to be done and we just shouldn't lose sight of how important that is.
because it's easy to lose sight of how important decentralization is until in retrospect, it's clearly the most important thing you could have possibly done. So I, I don't think this is like going to happen tomorrow or anything to ThorChain, but we shouldn't wait and should just focus on how important that is and the things we can do and whether that means finding ways to decentralize the nodes, you know, out of just being in, you know, things like AWS or cloud servers um, and anything else we can do to make sure that the validators and all participants of the network are as decentralized as we can make it. That's that's ultimately what you want to do and focus on. And if you do that, then it will succeed and it won't be able to be coerced. Hey, we also have a G dude up here. Hey, G dude. Hi, you guys. Thanks for the platform. Um, you know, I've been in the involved in the project for a, quite a long time, so I I kind of have seen how the narrative has changed. Like, I remember in the beginning. Everything was about um, full decentralization and, and, and getting a narrow set as soon as possible, stuff like that. And I've noticed that now, especially in the community, people are more, it seems like they're more uh, uh, worried, about, worried about the short-term uh, consequences of, the, of these uh, regulation issues. And, and even saying like, hey, we shouldn't even work on Monero anymore because it's like shooting ourselves in the foot. So my question is like, how is the team uh, seeing the situation because I think uh, that we could have a majority of the community that wouldn't uh, support something uh, which could arguably be better for the project long term, but then financial incentives wouldn't be aligned with that. So that's my question. Like, how does the team see uh, the long term and how do they um, reconcile that with the short term financial incentives of the community itself? Thanks. I mean, I think what you're seeing in today's really good example with with Pluto on the stage and him and I having you know discussions back and forth is that the 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 concept of the team is being broadened and, and further broadened and and you know in the earlier days it was me and a, and a couple other people that really had the viewpoints and kind of dictated what was going to happen blah 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 and all these things and, and I still have my viewpoints of course but I think as the team gets bigger and we've you know we've got nine realms is kind of playing a bigger bigger role within the project and there's more individuals involved with different backgrounds and perspectives we're seeing today of the team is being kind of diluted to some regard right and people are uh, is, there's much more you know diversity you know for sure uh, on, on the in, the in the development side, but I mean for me like my viewpoint is is, is unchanged and it doesn't it doesn't shift just because uh, some person was arrested in Denmark or the OFAC kind of uh, uh, put a put a an attack on 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 Turner Cash Lake like you know my northern star is about accomplishing something for the entire world that is needed to to have to, to exist and i'm not going to shake and, and, and just because ofac flexed a muscle or something like this i mean we've all, i've always expected this to some level i would expected this to happen or i wouldn't be surprised if it did happen and like doesn't change my viewpoint or how i feel about it because i it's already been this idea has already been priced in years ago right so it, nothing nothing has changed in, in my viewpoint Hey, thanks. Uh, thanks for that, uh, Chad. Um, I think you are the one that that carries the most risk with this, obviously, because uh, you have to dox yourself already. So I, I am a lot of more people probably appreciate uh, you fighting this head on. Um, and I was thinking maybe we could work on some kind of uh, education uh, um, approaches to to this problem, so that people are better informed in the in the and the benefits of thinking better long-term and, 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 and uh, focusing on, on decentralization. 
and not just some maybe speed or or or, or uh, um, any um, price action that could result from uh, regulatory attacks. Um, so if there's something, uh, by the way, that's uh, been done regarding that, I will love to be involved and i'm sure many many other people at, at least the way it seems from uh from crypto twitter which could be deceiving but uh it seems like a lot of people do care about the fundamentals and the the, the philosophy behind what's being built and not just price action thanks i think from from my perspective um like there's nothing i'm ever gonna advocate for that's going to um be at odds with like the principle of decentralization i wouldn't even be in favor of like adding any piece of code that like pulls from a blacklist and prevents transactions. Like that's, I think that's pretty out of the question. I think what we can do is we can at least have some sort of policy and we can build tools that help people that would be adversarial to us if we did not otherwise build those tools. Meaning I would be in favor of building a tool that lets you pop in an address on any chain and be able to trace funds throughout ThorChain to see where they were, right? So it's like, you know, I, like I want to be able to go to if someone comes to us and say, like, what are you guys doing to prevent criminal activity? It's like, well, nothing, but like, you know, there's nothing hidden in Thorchain. So, you know, use this tool and, you know, figure out what went through Thorchain. I don't really care. You can continue on with your investigation. I think if you at least have a, a, a positive attitude toward it, or at least like you don't act like adversarial like you're not going to have a problem. So I, I think, I think that there's like, there's definitely things that we can do. Um, but I think that like not doing anything or just like taking on this like attitude of like, you know, we're just going to like do what we want is, is, it's just not, it's not the right thing. But I think that there, I think that there is a middle ground. Um, and I think that lots of, lots of projects tow that carefully. I mean, look at like, you know, look at Avalanche. What do you, what do you guys think Avalanche or what do you, what do you guys think Solana are going to do if somebody tries to essentially do criminal activity on their platform, they're going to fucking straight up ban it, like using a multi-sig. Because at the end of the day, the companies that run those centralized chains, you know, they're beholden to laws. Um, so, you know, I, I just think that like on the spectrum, you're going you're gonna to see projects that are popular doing these types of things. And so I, I think just like for us not doing anything and like not having some sort of plan for like when they come knocking, that's that's what I don't want to see happen. I, I want to at least see that like we've done we've done something. Um, and what that ends up looking like, I have no idea, but there's a lot of smart people in this community and, and I'm really excited to work with everyone to to figure it out. Yeah, I think John had a great point when he said this is the, the furthest along cross-chain protocol that in terms of decentralization like and there's really no one else that that's even comes close to where we are and we're having this you know this you know frank discussion and uh you know just about privacy and you know whether that's the way that we want to go but we're we're in a very good spot compared to you know 99 percent of the entire industry especially in the cross-chain space i think we're you know le leaps and bounds ahead of anyone else in that so i think that's a that's a really great point to uh, to bring up. And uh, yeah, I just want to thank you guys for the awesome discussion today about privacy and uh, everything else we talked about. This is, a, this is a fun space. Thanks, Pluto and Chad for coming up. And thanks, John, for coming up as well. One thing I would just push back on what Pluto said is that he said like he's not for the idea of blacklisting, you know, specific addresses, but maybe he is for not adding Monero, you know, because of, you know, things or whatever. But to me, those two things, it's not even like a slippery slope. Those two things are the fucking same, right? Like, 
if you're not going to be if you refuse the blacklist, but then you're you're you'll go ahead and you know not add Monero, then like or or, or do a blacklist and then not add Monero or vice versa, or whatever it is. Like those two things are like the same thing to me, man. Like the governments can tell you what to do or it's not, and I don't really see a, like a strong you know uh, way of kind of threading that needle. It's either you're you're on the page or you're not, right? And I think. I think in the long run, crypto will win. I mean, projects will fail, but crypto will win in general. And then, like in the long run, like will you, like that DeFi and like this concept and what we're advocating for will be on the right side of history. Yeah, I mean, in a decade of being, you know, since I got into Bitcoin and being in the crypto industry and building in this industry, generally I've just seen a pattern of the more governments push against any sort of centralized entity or service, the more decentralized projects pop up or proliferate, or there's just that more many of them. It's very much the Hydra theory of crypto and decentralization of like the government can clamp down on any one head, but I don't see a world where that doesn't just shoot up three or four more heads. And I, I personally think Thorchain should embrace that philosophy. It's, it, it was kind of what it was built and it should find the ways to just keep maximally decentralizing itself. And if it does that, then things will be successful. As soon as you go down the slope of like, oh, we're not going to add this asset because it's risky that this government might not like it, or we're not going to do this, or we're going to add a blacklist, all of that um, to Chad's point, all kinds of being the same thing. Ultimately, the protocol needs to build what is good for the protocol and what is good for the world um, and can't worry about every particular government's determination, even big, scary ones like the U.S. government, in my opinion. Um, if, we're, if we're constantly worried about that, then things will not get built. And eventually someone will just fork, 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 fork Thorchain anyway. I mean, we, I know that Thorchain is fine with that and that's great. But it will just mean that some other protocol gets built that, that is more decentralized. So the goal should just be build that maximally decentralized protocol and things will fall into place. And otherwise, someone else is going to do it. I don't see a world where it doesn't happen. That's been the trend over the last 10 years. So I have one last question uh, for the three of you or whoever wants to take it. Um, what are these like biggest levers for more decentralization? Like, What can the community and the nodes really push for right now? What do you think would like really move this in the right direction. I, I do agree. Like, you know, I think, I think Thorchain in terms of decentralization, like has more of the ethos of Bitcoin than almost every other project out there. Um, but I think there's a ways to go too. So like, what are the things that like, like there was like the one third uh, on AWS sort of thing, but are, do other things come to mind? Like what can the community and nodes really do right now? Yeah. Like that one third thing um, I was quite disappointed in just because it's a, it's a great step towards decentralization and it was pushed back on the nodes, which I thought was um, like just it just doesn't solve the problem though. It well, you you decentralize it because more and more providers that does improve the situation. Does it solve the situation? No, no, but it improves situation. You can turn to like other decentralized infrastructure stuff, whether it be people's independent like uh, bare metal or even something like Akash for some set of the nodes. Like that also can help. The, the problem as well right uh, like uh, most of akash runs on aws anyway <laughs> they're like when you get an ip when you get an ipv4 ipv4 static ip address from an akash um from akash they're literally just reselling you an aws ip like that depends on the provider like i think you can choose which provider you want to use and you can choose one that's not on aws but like i'm not an akash expert and we, we can definitely have the space with one of the akash guys and like and kind of hash out these questions because it's good questions to raise and, and talk about yeah and we, we we already spoke to them like their their hardware their their product offering is not um it's not enough to deal with thorchain so just just to answer the uh, initial question like what is one of the things that we can do to uh, improve the decentralization of Thorchain? Uh, well, first, we can reduce its footprint. 
it's an incredibly complex, incredibly expensive and, you know, performance intensive thing to run right now. So the more that we can make it less so, the more we have a chance of being able to have, you know, people who, you know, operate, um, you know, who operate the, you know, the, the node from a sailboat using a Starlink or something, right? Like, that's, like, not, that's not fair, just because <laughs> the, the cost of the infrastructure is nothing relative to the cost of the bond. Saying that they're having a smaller, you know, instead of spending $5,000 a month on infrastructure and you spend $3,000 a month, that's not going to push any needles in any direction because you still need to buy a million dollars worth of room to begin with to even get into the system to, like, to start. But, right? but the, difference is, the difference is between it being able to run in your house versus being able to run in like a modern data center. We okay. We should we should talk to um to uh, to Hildy because they've done a lot of research around like running um on bare metal and hardware and like th there was a very real question when we added Terra like like basically they were like we can't we can't even uh, like we'll no longer be able to run this bare metal node it, when once Terra is added right so th there is a very real point at which you cross the the, the threshold of being able to run something on like consumer hardware and being able to run it like in a like global scale GKE, you know, offering, sorry, um, Kubernetes offering like one offered by, you know, the major cloud providers. And the, yeah, and the that, longer, the that longer that we... Because he didn't have hardware at that time to handle a Terranode. There's, there's commercially like consumer grade hardware that can run not only a Terranode, but you can even buy nodes that can run fucking something as crazy as Solana, like... Yeah. It's you can go to can buy on like system 76, for example, sells that kind of stuff like like you, you can totally do it. There's nothing. There's no I don't see any hindrance in this context. Yeah. Well, I think that just make like the more chains that we add and the more complex that it becomes, the harder that that becomes. So just knowing that that's a trade off. Um, but I mean, I would love to see more people doing doing locally hosted um, nodes. Maybe maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll spin one up and see what happens. There's nothing stopping somebody from doing it. You know, I mean, obviously, it takes more technical expertise and knowledge to do that, you know, locally versus doing it on AWS. And I remember like back in the old days, like I used to work, I used to build infrastructure for a living. I worked for a company called Breakove and we built our own data centers. I like, literally had to like construct our entire data centers by hand. And, 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 and obviously that's been completely replaced by AWS for obvious reasons, but like, you know, it, you can do it. There's nothing stopping somebody from being able to do it. I mean, I could probably fucking do it myself, to be honest with you. Yeah, but like most of the node operators are, I don't think, would be able to do that just based on some of the troubleshooting questions that we've had sometimes. I would not call the the the, the node operators today the the most technically fluent when it comes to like building a data center, right? We can't expect every node operator to like be able to build their own data center tier thing. So again, that's why that's why I was just saying like, like what's something that we could do to decentralize, like find friendly jurisdictions and like convince them to build data centers there that would harbor Orchain. That I mean, that's, that, I, think I think that would- The reason why node operators aren't necessarily the most technically, you know, advanced individuals, terms of running Linux infrastructure is because most node operators are just early investors into the project, right? Yeah. And just made a good a, a good bet effectively, like it made a good trade effectively. Yeah. But I think what, what I would like to see into the future is that as Thorchain becomes a critical infrastructure of the entire industry, 
and not just utilized by a bunch of like, you know, cyberpunks, but part of like the entire crypto ecosystem is that you're going to see, you know, people, even people like Coinbase and Binance just buying a note and running a note themselves. And just because just because they're they're connected into it themselves, they want to be participating in that network. And, and so we'll, we'll, we'll get like, you know, maybe even the shapeshifts dial like John's on here, like it could be anything, right? Like. I think as torching becomes what I believe it will be, which is this critical infrastructure, that it'll be adopted and used by so many large institutions that, that those institutions themselves will contribute and run nodes themselves. Yeah, mm. I agree. I remember one idea that was being thrown around was like, it, could there be a way to shift incentives to bare metal node operators? I don't know how you'd get nodes to agree to that, but like, kind of would be cool in theory, at least, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you could do that. Uh, in some ways, it, I mean, you have to think about how to like how to like game it and, and, and make sure it's not gameable in some sense. And maybe that's just by like, like, for example, like, you know, I can run on AWS, but I just run like a proxy node in my house. And so the IP address is going through my house. And so but really, the infrastructure is not bare metal. It's actually AWS still. And so I've just like successfully gained ThorChain to get, increase my profits by 20 percent or whatever the number, you know, might be. But also at the same time. Like the same time, like you're getting uh, compensated to secure the network, right? And so the pay should be relative to that, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's a good question. Like, what is the next step for ThorChain to decentralize, right? I mean, we, we can talk about adding more nodes, which is difficult because, you know, it's got this 300,000 rune minimum. And not a lot of like, you know, rune holders have that kind of, that kind of, you know, uh, uh, cheese. But like, uh, so going to like 120 nodes, which is the current artificial limit on ThorChain right now, is just it's just a hard coded number of 120. Uh, you know, we're, we're probably not going to hit 120 anytime soon, just because of the way the the economics of running a node is. And so, what do what do you do next? What's the next step? Well, we talked about passive nodes. There's a, there's a GitLab issue about the idea that like you can run a node but not be a part of the active network, not committing blocks, but you're securing assets, and that can be done with potentially with less hardware, maybe. Still needs more investigation, but like that's possible, right? Like, what would actually be the next step? And it's and I think we were. I'm not entirely sure, to be honest with you. You know, I think we're doing very well so far. Like as John was saying, we're more decentralized by like probably at least 10x than the closest project out there, which is probably like something like you know Avax uh, Bitcoin Bridge or something like this, which has got like you know eight of eight of ten or something like this wardens. But like you know, I, I think we're doing very well, and we'll continue to push down this the, the path of decentralization. We keep, there's no uh, going too far down that path, probably. And we just gotta keep thinking. Well said, sweet guys. Great space today. Uh, let's let's continue this conversation. I, I mean, this is always an ongoing conversation, but uh, it's great to hear you guys speak and i'm sure that the audience really appreciates you know, this kind of transparency from from both you as well so cheers it's been really cool cheers absolutely yeah thanks guys this was a great one and uh even the debates i mean i think it's important to have those conversations like really hear the the different sides because uh you know it's not clear like i <laughs> i agree with both everything that was said uh, on some level you know so it's easy to see both sides but yeah got to keep these conversations going but let's do it all again next week later guys yep later, later.